welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye and wherever you may be in the world, welcome and thank you for joining me for my 33rd episode, Adjusting and Adapting. Hello, hello, hello. I know it has been a while. Welcome back, everybody. And hello to anyone who is joining me for the very first time in this space. It's great to be back. I know that you are all far and wide across the globe and some of you will be starting to just go a little bit further afield as you find restrictions that you've been under are easing. While I know there are others of you who are now being put back under certain limitations, I really hope that whatever has brought you to this podcast space, that it provides you with a little bit of escapism in this world scenario that we find ourselves in. And I also hope that however small, you have something on the horizon to look forward to. April 2021 then, my last episode was back in November, an episode that I called Changing Changing Plans. (laughs) Can't even remember. Changing Plans. And I think that's certainly one thing that the pandemic has taught us that plans are definitely made for changing for a whole host of reasons, some of which are in our control and a lot of which are not in our control. I'd actually planned some content for a very short episode, which I was planning to release before we switched the lights out on 2020, the year that was, hey, (laughs) Uh, but as we know, 2020 was a strange one and we didn't always achieve what we set out to do either and that was the case when I looked back at what notes I'd made about things I wanted to talk about I couldn't believe that there was this whole episode there that I'd planned out and never actually got round to recording it let alone releasing it. I did mention last time that I was taking some time out to think about the way ahead and Yes, the podcast break has turned out way longer than I had planned or thought it would. The thing I have reflected on, though, is I'm going to be resolute in not beating myself up about this. Because, again, I think one of the things that, you know, we've all learned from this is is taking that inward look at ourselves and what we do and don't do and how we have that little internal voice that talks to us. We're all finding that our best laid plans are getting adjusted. So I'm sticking to that. Uh, As I say, I'm not going to beat myself up about the fact that this was a longer break than planned. I'm just going to acknowledge that that happened. And I have actually missed doing the, the podcast. But I also think that that break was wholly necessary to renew my energy and come back with a little bit more vigour than I had before. So I'm ready now to make up for some lost time. I think the upside of the break as well, having that time to just be, to restore my energy levels and also not put too many demands and deadlines and expectations on myself. The downside is 
that, you know, I do keep little notes, uh, jot down ideas and things that come to mind or observations I make that I want to talk about in the podcast. And of course, that big gap means I've got a huge amount of uh, material that I want to bring to you and catch up on. And of course, when I started to bring all that material together, I realised that I could uh, pull together at least a few six hour episodes, which of course is really not practical. (laughs) And I know I get lots of lovely comments from you about my voice, but A, I think by the end of a six hour episode, it would be a little bit croaky and I probably would have well and truly sent you to sleep by then. What I'm going to do then is slowly over time, feed in everything over the next few episodes while trying to hopefully maintain a a little bit of variety of content for each of those episodes. I've also made a couple of tweaks to the format, some minor adjustments and really just adapting to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Let me tell you then what I've got for you in this episode and I can explain where these little adjustments occur. Firstly then, the weather absolutely no change in this section. (laughs) It's a key feature of the podcast. From the key highlights of the weather that we're experiencing here to the fauna and flora that ebb and flow as we transition through the seasons. This time of year is always an interesting one. We experience summer one day and it's back to winter the next and we're certainly in winter phase at the moment. Making I'm changing this section to creativity. Why the change, you might ask? Making to me is that physical process of producing something. Creativity to me means a little bit more about incorporating the mind, the imagination, the ideas, where you're taking that process, where you're taking that making. What is that next step? And one of the things I've certainly been grateful for this past year is taking some time out to really spread my wings with what I make, to think more about what I do, different crafts and artistic activities that I try. And since one of the aspects of the podcast is creativity, I thought I'd actually, you know, accentuate that as a feature. So of course, this section is still actually including what I'm physically making as well. And I hope that that explanation makes sense. For this episode then, I'll give you an update on those projects way back when in November and also talk about how I've been testing my artistic skills and give you the heads up on a knit-along that I'm going to take part in coming up very soon. Dorset buttons. This is the core of my business, as you know. I'm going to just slightly extend this section though. So it's now going to be called Dorset Buttons and Wider News from the TJ Frog Pad. Because while dorset buttons are absolutely the root of everything that I do, there are also other areas of the business, such as the wool and events, and I'm going to just separate these out. This episode then includes a roundup of what's been happening since we last spoke, and also a look ahead to a couple of forthcoming events. The Sky Focus section is probably where the largest change occurs. This is usually made up of two areas. Firstly, the local lowdown, a snippet of information about something to do with Sky or something that's happening on Sky. And secondly, the Sky Showcase, which is an interview with a Sky-based independent creative business or an interview with somebody when I'm on my travels. (laughs) Those were the days, hey? (laughs) Yeah, an interview with somebody further afield, which I would call across the bridge. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you will know I've always done my interviews face to face. And while I have set up an outside socially distanced microphone, sky weather is not always my best friend (laughs) and conducive to uh, this setup, especially in the winter. Zoom interviews and Skype interviews before that have been commonplace and I'm not standing in judgment of those. I use Zoom a lot for my business. It is not though what I want for my podcast and I have reflected on this a lot. For me, visiting someone at their studio or meeting them face to face for the interview was always an important part of what I wanted to to bring to you and a point of difference. And I have toyed with with changing this and reached the conclusion it is not right for me to change it. So that does bring some limitations under the, the current climate that we are experiencing. My podcast interviews really are about that face-to-face conversation, the physical presence and the connection that that brings, which as much as we are all trying to have that connection through Zoom calls and Skype calls and whatever other platform you use, we all ultimately know it is not the same as being physically present with somebody. So yes, that that is a key feature of my podcast and that is something I'm going to to keep. And as I mentioned, as we know in these COVID times, that does present some challenges. Added to this, you know, there are some businesses and people I, I would love to have on this show, but being recorded and interviewed is not for everyone. And, you know, there are many other people at the moment who have other priorities right now. And all of this I fully respect. Therefore, the reality is that the interviews, which really have become one of my favourite things to do, present challenges and I need to adapt and adjust the format of this section to meet that. Going forward then, all is not lost. There will still be interviews, just not every episode. When there is an interview, this section will remain exactly as it was before, unless it's a really, really long interview and it ends up being a podcast episode all by itself. When I don't have an interview for you, which I don't for this episode, so just giving you the heads up there, this section is still going to be called Sky Focus. That's exactly what it's going to be. I will seek out something about Sky to bring to you. I know many of you who listen have either been to Sky or hope to get here one day or you just really love hearing about the place. And so I want to share with you some of the wonderful things from people to the land to its history. Imagine this section then will just be the local lowdown snippet with just a little bit more information, a little bit of a bigger chunk for you. Today's Sky Focus then is about food and more specifically focused on a couple of restaurants here on Sky. I'm sure some of you are going to share my disappointment in not being able to bring you an interview every month. I hope though that I will fill this gap. It is hard when you love doing something but it's just not quite working in the way that you want it to do. I know I've made the right decision though to continue doing the face-to-face interviews. That's business for you. That's life for you. We've had to adapt and adjust working with the constraints and the impact of a pandemic. Let's get on with this episode then. The weather. I can tell you right now, we have 45 mile an hour winds and rain. 
<laughs> torrential rain. Living on Sky then, January and February and March often feel more wintry to me than November and December. And I can't offer you any logical explanation for this other than my recollection of storms in the time that we've been living here. January to March 2015, the storms just did not stop. We had storm damage to our newly renovated house and gaps in the roof where tiles had come off. And in those three months, we had buckets sat upstairs permanently catching the rain as it came in. Two things had happened. We didn't have a stock of spare roof tiles. We do now. <laughs> that was a learning, learning point. You just couldn't buy any spare roof tiles. They, they were all taken up. I mean, we had holes in the roof, but there were people who had totally lost their roofs. So, you know, we, we were by no means in that predicament. And by the time we were able to get some roof tiles, it was just too dangerous to get on the roof to make those repairs. Whenever we have winds, high winds, I always compare it to that time. And since then, touch wood, we have not had such a sustained period of, of high winds. We've had a lot of rain and the snow didn't actually arrive to December, which is really quite late. On the whole, we, we've had a good winter. November and December felt like quite dark months, oppressive. The cloud was just constantly really low and very, very grey and, and dark. We've had some beautiful days though and some really cold ones and some very, very wet ones. Even the daffodils took out a protest this year. Looking back on my photos from previous years, you know, the daffodils have been out in February, but they stayed well and truly tucked away this year and they didn't come out till the middle of March. At the moment, we're going through quite a mixed weather pattern. We have had days where we've had hours of calm, dry weather with the odd little rain shower here and there. A couple of weeks ago, we just had days on end of torrential, continuous rain, 40, 50 mile an hour winds and a lot of flooding. Waterfalls where waterfalls do not normally occur. Then all this wonderful sunshine appeared along with snow. So temperatures plummeted and yet yeah, we've got snow and hail one minute and bright blue skies and sunshine the next. Snow in time for lambing, lambing snow. I cannot wait to see the fields around us full of lambs. Some of the lambs have arrived. We've just seen the first ones and they always bring a smile to my face. They're lovely, springy, playful actions. Uh, yeah, I could sit and watch them for hours. We also have some immediate new neighbours just in the field next to us because a couple of calves have now arrived. It is that time of year where we hear the quad bikes out more and more, especially at night time when the crofters are out regularly checking up on their animals for new life and also uh, nurturing the ones who need a little bit of uh, extra help. I do find this a wonderful time of year though, as we see those shoots springing up through the earth, as we see the lambs and the calves having fun, that innocence, just playing and jumping around. Only last night, I was watching the two calves up in the field, just running backwards and forwards, jumping and skipping up and down. Really, really wonderful to watch. Creativity. One of the great things about the podcast and also knit Zoom groups 
it makes me accountable from time to time. <laughs> Firstly then, my Raymore stripy tea top, which back in November was all finished apart from sewing the folded hem edge. It is finally done. It got done a while ago. It's all ready for me to wear in the summer. It is knitted in Quince & Co. Willet Cleaner Cotton. It's a lovely weight top. It's beautiful and soft and it's going to be really useful. Definitely a go-to top to wear. In fact, I could see it being one of those tops that I could knit a number of them. I have included a photo of me in the show notes, complete with lockdown hairstyle. <laughs> and I have my appointments with the hairdresser in a week's time. <laughs> I also finished my slip extravaganza, the mystery shawl knit along designed by Stephen West. And the biggest surprise, it was blocked in record time. Um, yeah, record, record time. I finished it on the Thursday and it went on the blocking mat on Friday. I felt so good about this. Why though? Why did it go on the blocking mat so quickly? A knit Zoom call was on the Saturday. <laughs> and many of the people on that call had done the strip extravaganza and had already done their show and tell. And I was determined that I was going to have mine ready to show. Such an incentive. Nothing like having an enforced deadline on yourself. Who loves a deadline, hey? I do. I certainly do work better under pressure. If you did this pattern or you've seen people post this pattern up on social media, you will have seen what an immense piece of knitting it is. There's over 900 stitches on the last two rows, which did seem to take forever. And I was only able ever to do like two rows at a time. I loved it though. Totally my type of knitting. Really just that one stitch after another, that repetitive meditative state that uh, I like getting into at the end of the day with my knitting. It's a beautiful finished piece, very cosy and I made it from a collection of yarns from my travels. I'm not quite sure where I've put all the different yarns and the labels, they've gone into one of those safe places so that's maybe something I'll need to come back and address at another time. Uh, or I might do a blog post about it because I'm going to try and revive my... Uh, no, I'm not going to try. I am going to revive my uh, blog as well. This shawl now sits over my office chair permanently and it's getting a lot of use. It is just the perfect item for me. If I just get a little bit chilly around my shoulders, I can drape it over. Or if I really want something to wrap up around my neck, it goes around, you know, my neck loads and loads of times. So I'm certainly getting a lot of use out of it. I'm now about to embark on another big project, which is the Die Gilpin Blue Moon Knit Along which is a collaboration with Millie at Tribe Yarns. It is based on the intarsia technique and I love intarsia. I first learned to do intarsia doing the mystery blankets with Debbie Abrahams and I think it's a much underused and understated technique. This particular project uses 10 balls of dyes Laland double knit and the wrap itself measures 140 centimetres by 62 centimetres. <laughs> so it's a big piece of knitting. 
I'm actually thinking of using straight knitting needles for this as well, which is not something I thought I would hear myself saying. I, I do use straight needles, you know, double pointed ones for, for smaller projects, but I've not used long straight needles for a very, very long time, for, for years. In fact, I think since I was first introduced to circulars, I've got this angling to use these straight needles. I think as well, when I went on Dye's knitting retreat in Spain last year, oh, that is a long and distance, wonderful memory. Di, Sheila, Jill, they, they all use these long straight needles and they just look so elegant. Yeah, so I've got a little yearning to, to try them again. Not sure how I will get on with them, but I think this is the project that might be the one where they could be most useful. This collaboration then between Di and Millie also includes weekly Zoom calls with tips to help you with the intarsia technique. And if you want to find out more about it, then take a look at the Charib Yarns website and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I have started some other projects, <laughs> surprise, surprise, and that includes a jumper and a blanket. I'm going to save these though for another day. There is an area though where I feel I need to give myself a good talking to and here I'm going to make myself accountable and that is I need to make a date between myself and my wooden toy cot that holds all of my neglected projects and I call them neglected because I have not looked at them for a very 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 long time. So I'm not even sure I can call them works in progress or unfinished objects. Well, they, they are all of those, but they are neglected. They, they need some love. They need some TLC. And I want to address this pile that is ever increasing rather than decreasing. Next time will be confession time. I mean, it is actually at the point where... The, the pile exceeds the edges of the cot and it's, yeah, the pile is going to tip over at some point. And in a recent change around of furniture in the house, I also found two boxes, you know, those um, like material boxes that slot into little open shelves. They were full of kits various that I've acquired over time, cross stitch kits, embroidery kits, knitting kits. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I need to address this. <laughs> I want to address it. I'm changing my language there. I want to address it. It's a desire. It's a want. I would love A, to enjoy doing these projects and B, to get that pile down a little bit so that when I introduce new ones, I feel they are getting the love they deserve at the right time. Because I think something that some of us find which I've talked about before and I've certainly found if you leave projects too long and especially knitting you know your tension changes over time your actual love of the item changes over time doing it in a timely fashion there is a lot to be said for that talking across stitch then it is one of the the crafts that I've found myself reaching for these past few months you may remember I bought a project called Chicken Knits from Tribe Yarns last year. And I still struggle with my eyesight a little bit doing cross stitch now, which I never ever used to. I've really enjoyed it though, what little bit I have done. In February, I got my crochet hook out again. I did a workshop with Carolyn Bloom, who is running some workshops on how to embroider stitches onto knitted 
and crochet fabric. It was a great class, lots of fun and really interesting in terms of once you understand where to thread your sewing needle to create stitches and how they're formed. I think you could spend many hours practicing and working out new patterns. I'll put a photo of what I did in the show notes and a link to Carolyn's page. There's some really beautiful, beautiful work that Carolyn's done. There's, there's one in particular with, I think it was on a, a knitted jumper with stitches all on the bottom half of the sleeve. Really is quite stunning. One of the biggest creative projects I've enjoyed getting involved in during the pandemic are art classes. And that was something I could never have foreseen that I would be taking up. These classes have been taught by Selena Jane Garney, a talented printmaker, illustrator, artist and knitter who I've talked about before back in episode 31 when I did a six-week art course with Selena and also in episode 28 when I first had the pleasure of meeting Selena at Unravel. The classes that I've done have really just opened up my eyes to my own creative ability, my own insights around creativity and also getting my inner child out there which really has been quite yeah a significant finding for me I think. When we're children and particularly young children we are very very creative without all the constraints on us that come with becoming an adult and responsibilities and knowing much more about the world and Selena definitely brought back out of me that child where you do just play and have a go and don't care about the end result just go for it. Selena is just such an encouraging teacher and I really found that I was achieving things that were certainly outside my comfort zone which was fun and really rewarding and got me channeling my creative ideas in a completely different direction to what I've done before. It also removed off the dusty shelves my paints and pencils and sketchbooks and pens. I hope you can tell in my voice I have really thoroughly enjoyed this experience. In January then I joined Selena on a 31-day challenge to sketch for 15 minutes a day and I just could not have anticipated quite how much I would enjoy this and what I would get from it. From half past six to seven o'clock every day, we joined in on a Zoom call. We were there ready to go with our pencils, pens, pastels, whatever it was you wanted to, to bring along and sketchbook. And Selena would give us an overview of the theme for the session, give us a few little tips and direction, and then we would go off on our timed exercise. We did all sorts of sketches based on a whole host of things from our feelings, everyday observations, continuous line drawings. We even drew ourselves on the Zoom call and the whole of the sort of Zoom arrangement, which was really, really fascinating to do. And I think as well, what you can achieve on a small A5 bit of paper in 15 minutes, if you put your mind to it, is actually really quite phenomenal. I'm not going to be sketching for 15 minutes every day. What I learned, though, was the concept of always carrying a small sketchbook around with me 
and something that I can draw with is is a great thing to capture a moment, to capture a little bit of detail, to capture an observation that you might use later with something. And the biggest thing I found out was I love drawing with a Sharpie pen. I mean, who doesn't love a Sharpie pen anyway? For me, somebody who historically is a perfectionist, this was a newfound freedom. Hey, if I made a mistake, if the line went off, you know, and did a little wonky thing that it wasn't supposed to do or I didn't want it to do, did it matter? No, it didn't matter. I could just make that line thicker or I just added in a little extra something to my drawing. Yeah, it was a wonderful start to the year for me. And when it came to an end and Selena sent out an update for her next round of courses, I was ready to take on something else. And this time it was Create and Chill. Friday nights, Create and Chill. It was about creating a piece of art using different mediums from watercolours to clay to acrylics and really whatever you've got. I found that I had some acrylics that I didn't even realise I had. They came in a like a selection box of things and they were very, very old. Um, a couple of them were completely dried up. I couldn't even use. But I found I really enjoyed using acrylics um, and I didn't, didn't even realise what they did or what you could do with them. And they're certainly on my wish list to, to get a new set at some point. Selena shares so much knowledge and is very sensitive to the materials that you have or you don't have. There's never any pressure to go out and spend large amounts of money on resources to take part in Selena's classes. I have learned to be free-flowing, to not worry so much, to just have a go and experiment. And as I say, to allow that inner child to be released. And I know Selena listens in to the podcast. So Selena, this is a direct message to you. Thank you so much. You are an amazing teacher and person. And I am richer in so many ways for having learnt from you and from knowing you. Thank you. I was also touched by how supportive everybody was on those Zoom calls as well. And would really like to put a thank you out to them too. It's hard putting yourself out there on the Zoom calls. And while, you know, there's no pressure to actually show your picture or what you've drawn or, or sketched or painted or made in a session. It is nice when people share and you can see what each other's done. There was people there with all different skill levels all different experiences with art. And yeah, I've really, as I say, learned a lot from doing those classes. So thank you, everybody involved in those. If you live down in the London area, you may be fortunate enough at some point in the future to actually attend a live course with her, which I think would be an amazing experience. And I hope that one day I will get to be able to do that as well. Lastly, in this creativity section then, not my creativity, but a project about creative makes and creative thinking that makes a project happen. We've all seen that there are a whole host of businesses and venues that have been impacted by the pandemic. And one of the many venues impacted are museums. And there has been a great collaboration which has come together out of forced closure that they have found themselves in and it's called Highland Threads. It recently launched and it's an online exhibition which brings together 14 
pieces from collections of Highland fashion from museums across the Highlands. Each of these pieces is shown through photographs and videos and they are accompanied by any known information or stories that are linked to them. It includes embroidered and sewn items as well as knitted items. And if you are particularly interested in the knitwear, there's a Fisherman's Gansey from Wick Heritage Museum. There's the Gerlock pattern socks from Gerlock Museum. And there's a child's jumper from Grome House Museum. And there's a knitted bathing suit from the Highland Museum of Childhood. Normally, to go to all of those museums in the Highlands, you would have to drive hundreds and hundreds of miles between the museums. And it, it would take you a few days. And here you get to see all of these beautiful pieces under this one online exhibition. As part of this exhibition, there are a series of in-conversation virtual events. And that includes a conversation with knitting historian and author Esther Rutter, knitwear designer Lucy Haig, dress historian Rebecca Olds and Joe Watson, who's a graduate of the University of the Highlands and Islands, who has researched one of the garments and is going to host a discussion about its story. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you are interested in historical garments, uh, I definitely uh, direct you to take a look at this. It's a really beautiful piece that these museums have uh, collaborated on and put together. Dorset buttons and wider news from the TJ Frog pad. First up then, Dorset buttons. Wow, they are popping up everywhere, <laughs> which is great. Fantastic. Love the attention they're getting. Their popularity has certainly grown over time and I'm regularly seeing them pop up in my social media feed. At the end of last year, I think there were a few Dorset button kits under the Christmas tree for many of you who decided to treat yourself and have a go at Dorset buttonry for the first time. And I know many of you came to me for kits for yourself and also to give us presents as well because they are a lovely little uh, gift for somebody. You may well have seen Kirsty's Handmade Christmas TV show that goes out on Channel 4 in the UK. It's been running now for about six years and each episode is based around a theme such as baking, embroidery, knitting and there's always lots of tips and they also bring makers on who come and showcase their craft skills and compete against one another to win that section. And in episode eight last year, which was the decoration episode. Louise Armitage of Ginny's Dorset Buttons starred in the show and only went on and won, which was a fabulous promotion for Dorset Buttons. And I would love to thank all of you who found your way to me via the publicity that Dorset Buttons got through this show. That really was amazing. Looking ahead then, 2022 is a celebration year for Dorset Buttons. The Dorset Button 2022 project has been set up by Anna McDowell of Henry's Buttons and the idea behind this is literally to bring a year-long celebration of 400 years since the Dorset Button cottage industry is thought to have first started. Anna is being supported by a team of volunteers which includes myself, Jen of Beaker Buttons, Julia Carter who is a trustee of the Dorset Archives Trust and Julia Clay, who is a Dorset button enthusiast and whose father's paternal line came from Dorset going back to the 1600s. 
together. We will be hosting events as well as uh, encouraging people to host their own events to showcase the Dorset button. There is a Dorset Button 2022 website and a newsletter as well as a Facebook and Instagram account. So please take a look, follow along if you can and, and sign up. There is a calendar of events on the website where we will gradually be building up the events that each of us are running. And what we would like to ask you to do is if you have an event that you're doing, whether in your little group, you're doing a button along or you're doing a class or just you decide to come together and have a celebration of Dorset Buttons, you can actually send in that information and it will go on the website where it will get promoted so that then globally everybody can see what Dorset Button events are happening. This is just a way to celebrate this beautiful heritage craft and really put it on the map of the world. My invitation to you then is to really think how you can become involved in this and what you can do at your community level to celebrate the beautiful Dorset Button. Talking of Dorset Button events then, I know we're all looking forward to a time when we can meet and craft together in person, not just through an electronic device. As a teacher, an exhibitor and an attendee of events, so many things have been cancelled or adjusted or rolled over to next year. And as we all wait to see how the year ahead unfolds, I do hope that at some point we will be able to meet at some form of gathering. One of the things I particularly love is when groups and tours come to Sky and experience everything that there is to offer here. I know many of you've become followers of the podcast and the work that I do via Rowan Tree Travel. And I really cannot wait to welcome back Heather and Susie to Sky. And I have my fingers crossed that their next scheduled trip will be able to take place. There's another new group who are due to visit Sky, and that is the Wild at Art Creative Experiences in Scotland. And this is a company whose focus is, well, <laughs> the clues in the name, Creative Experiences in Scotland. The company is founded by UT, who I had the pleasure of meeting on Sky last year. And UT has put together a textile experience trip, which is currently planned for October this year. It is a nine day trip and it includes a number of textile and wool related workshops, one of which is me. <laughs> and there's a great selection of visits to various independent businesses who all work with wool. There are visits to beauty spots, historic places, and I'm sure this is going to be a fantastic creative holiday. UT runs a variety of immersive creative retreats and has done a number in the past around drawing and painting in the Scottish landscape. And I'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to go and take a look at her website to see the variety of courses that are on offer. Shows and other events. This is a difficult one, as I've just mentioned. We do not quite know yet how things are going to pan out in the UK. Online and in person, I do have some events on the horizon. And if you do want to be kept informed of what those are, then I would direct you to look at my social media or if you're not already, sign up to the newsletter on the website because that's where you'll hear about things first. The next online event I can tell you about is the Spring Sky Wool Meander. 
And this has just launched. It will take place on Sunday the 25th of April between 1 and 5pm. It will be held on the Zoom platform. And it's a curated show and it includes myself, Kirsty of Schillersdale, Yasmin of Island at the Edge and Sally from On the Croft. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will have heard me interview them all at some point. And I also did a soundbite with each of them as they were emerging and reopening after the first lockdown last year. We are keeping it quite intimate as well. It's for a fairly small group of people. And I'm going to be taking you on a journey around Sky to visit each of these wool businesses. The focus is very much to experience Sky from the comfort of your own home while you craft. And your journey is going to start here with me down on the, the south of the island where I will take you on a walk across some common crofting land where I live. And we will then travel around Sky through some video footage and some photos and we will have a live Q&A with Kirsty, Yasmin and Sally. And this is a fantastic opportunity for you in quite an intimate environment, albeit through the wonderful Zoom and electronic device, for you to ask some questions about their businesses, about their processes, about living on Sky, about their animals. I'm really excited by this collaboration and sharing this virtual experience. And if you are interested, then further information and ticket sales are over on the Eventbrite platform. And there's a link in the show notes to this. Let's move on to the TJ Frog website then. This underwent an overhaul at the beginning of the year. And I'd like to thank everyone for their patience with this. And also a huge thank you to the TJ Frog staff, aka hubby, <laughs> who did all the work. <laughs> There are still some areas to be added and there are still some tweaks to be made, but the, the fundamental areas are there in terms of functionality. One of the features I would like to draw your attention to, if you're signed up to receive notification of a podcast episode release or the newsletter or a blog post release, then these mailing lists have now all come under one platform umbrella, whereas before they were managed by different systems, which was quite complicated. It now means that you can go in and manage your notifications as to whether you just get one, two or all three of those. I'd also love to thank you for your continued support with the online shop. We would all much rather be at shows and seeing one another and being able to pick up products and feel the world. It's not the same buying online, but myself and all of the other people that I know who have creative businesses like mine, we are all so thankful for everyone who continues to want to buy online and support our creative businesses during these times. I want to talk about wool. <laughs> If you've not yet already seen on Louise Scully's Woolwork website, Louise has produced a great list of wools and yarns which you can source from independent businesses in Scotland. And Louise got invited to appear on the Scotland Outdoors podcast after responding to a listener's claim on a, another Radio Scotland show that you can't buy 100% wool from Scotland. <laughs> And uh, as you can imagine, Louise had quite rightly something to say about this. And I'm not going to spoil the story for you. I'm just going to signpost you to this great um, podcast episode to listen into where Louise did a fantastic job at championing wool and, of course, wool from Scotland. 
on to the Sky Focus then. The idea for this section was sparked after seeing that two chef restaurant owners on the Isle of Skye have recently been interviewed on a podcast. And both of these chefs own restaurants, which we particularly love. And they are the sort of places that you book to go to for that very special occasion. Or if you were visiting Sky and you wanted to have that real one-off special experience to eat fresh local produce and a dining experience to remember, then I think these would be worth considering. They both focus on having a tasting menu format. And as I say, it's all about local produce. Of course, they are by no means the only great restaurants on Sky. There are a number along with some lovely hotels who have good restaurants too. It's just I thought if you love hearing about Scottish produce and Sky in particular, this is a great conversation to listen to this podcast that they've done. First then is Lock Bay Restaurant at Steen on the Waterneesh Peninsula. And this is owned and run by Chef Michael Smith, who some of you might recall from The Great British Menu when he appeared and won the coveted main course spot with his goat tagine. And for those of you who don't know about The Great British Menu, it's a TV programme. It's now in its 16th series, which I can't believe. It's a yearly contest where chefs compete against one another for the chance to cook at a four-course banquet. And each year, this banquet's based on a theme. And it's also held for a particular group of people, either to elevate what those people do or to thank a particular group of people. This year, the theme is British Invention and Innovation. And so the chefs use the theme as the inspiration for each of their dishes. The year that Michael Smith won for his goat tagine, the theme was 25 years of Red Nose Day and comic relief. Michael has lived on Sky for a number of years and he was previously the head chef at the Three Chimneys on Sky, which is a Sky-renowned restaurant established over 35 years ago. Michael took over the Lock Bay restaurant five years ago now and he was awarded a Michelin star in 2017, which he still holds today. The second restaurant is Edabane Lodge at Edabane <laughs> and this is owned and run by the chef Callum Montgomery who is from Skye. Edabane Lodge has been a place of hospitality going back to 1543 so it's got a lot of history with it and it was renovated by Callum in 2017 and opened in 2018 so a fairly um, recent restaurant and since opening in such a short space of time has won a number of awards and accolades. Hospitality, as we know, is another business which has suffered during the pandemic. And we've all seen many cafes and restaurants adapt and adjust their offerings to work with the circumstances that they find themselves in. Michael did some Saturday night bay window takeaways from his place and Callum did a couple of special afternoon teas. And this Easter weekend, just gone, Edabane Lodge did a takeaway afternoon tea, which I shared with Elaine, who is my friend who has been part of our extended household during this period. It was a wonderful, amazing, incredible treat. And we just enjoyed drinking mint tea out of Elaine's garden. There was a great selection of savoury and sweet goodies because, you know, sometimes the balance can be a little bit out with the afternoon tea. There was these beautiful little finger sandwiches, local produce 
eggs, longustines freshly caught from the waters around Skye, beef from one of the, the local crofts. Then we had savoury scones with mulled cheddar and wild garlic locally foraged. And oh, what else? We had all these beautiful little pastries. I can't even remember them all now. We had a little meringue pie. We had a little gateau. We had a little chocolate Easter egg, plain scone, brioche hot cross bun, a little eclair with salted caramel in, shortbread. Um, Yeah, it was very, very good. And we just about managed it all. We, we both had a sort of couple of pieces that we, we left and saved for later. Michael and Callum then were, as I say, recently interviewed on a podcast. It's the Scottish Chefs podcast. And the episode was issued on the 24th of March. And it's called The Growth of the Isle of Skye as a Culinary Centre in Scotland. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music and Stitcher. You get to hear about their journey as a chef how they came to own their own restaurants and you learn about the local produce in our waters and our land here on Sky, and you hear about the challenges that they face running a restaurant on the island. I really enjoyed listening to it. I hope that you will enjoy listening to it as well. I haven't yet explored the other podcasts in that series, but I'm sure there's some other great, interesting Scottish chefs to listen to in that series as well. That's it then for my return to podcasting. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed talking to you again, even if it is just me, my microphone and my laptop, imagining you out there walking your dog, cooking, ironing, crafting as you listen in. I look forward to our next episode. And in the meantime, take care, look after yourselves, speak soon. Bye for now. You can find the show notes on the website at tjfrog.co.uk and if you'd like to get in touch, either drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website or on Facebook and Instagram as tjfrogsky, Twitter as tjfrogmakes and Ravelry as tjfrog. The music is by Ron Paintant and is licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now. Till next time. <laughs>